2: Good morning and welcome to Fed Talk. Today is Friday, April 8th, 2022. I am Tony Bernetti, the founder and president of Feds Protection. Um, today's show we're going to talk about virtual conferences. The pandemic has brought about the emergence of virtual and/ our hybrid events. and uh, many leaders you know in the government and, and even in industry believe that um, they're really embracing these virtual events for the long term. Um, So today we thought it'd be um, really neat to hear from some organizations and experts who have been using them um, on how to really have a meaningful virtual or or hybrid event. So we have a packed house today. Um, Let me just jump in and tell you um, who we have on the show Um, in no particular order, but we have Stephen Mandarano, the communications and marketing director for the Senior Executives Association, and he's also... A consultant for the Federal Executive Institute Alumni Association, who's going to be having a virtual event this year. Uh, good morning, Steve. Welcome to the show. And then we have Dr. Candace Boyd. She is the vice president of the Federal Executive Institute Alumni Association. Good morning, Candace. Thanks for being here.
3: Good morning. Happy to be here.
2: And then we have Ryan Chancoco, who is a marketing consultant for SCA. Morning, Ryan. Hey, pleasure, Tony. And then last but certainly not least, we have Lisa Spinelli. She is a senior content manager at the Association of Talent of Association of Talent Development or ATD. We'll go by their acronym here today. Good morning, Lisa. Thanks for being here.
0: Thank you so much for having me.
2: So before we dive in and um, get into the meat of it, I just want to remind everyone that Fed Talk is brought to you by the attorneys, the at law firm at Shaw, Bransford, and Roth so steve let me Stephen ryan i want to start with you guys and, and talk about um sea and their summit um that they recently had and the one they had um the year before and and just sort of tell us about your your experience there um but Stephen, let me just first have you introduce um sea to our listeners to those who may not be um aware of of who the of what the organization um, who they represent <laughs>
4: Absolutely, Tony. So the SEA or Senior Executives Association uh, was founded over 40 years ago uh, and really represents the voice of our senior executive service uh, as well as their uh, equivalents. Uh, We've been at the forefront on advocacy and professional development efforts um, for our senior executives. Uh, We've advocated uh, in front of the administration Um, We focus on really preparing the executives so they can be the best possible leaders ever uh, in in what they do. Uh, And on the advocacy front, you know, we've secured an introduction of the SES Reform Act, uh, protected senior executives and whistleblower reform legislation, uh, and fought against uh, Schedule F, just to name a few. Uh, And we also provide our members with access to discount legal advice uh, through our partners at Shaw, Bransford, and Roth, uh, so they know uh, their rights with respect to OIG and congressional investigations, performance actions, etc., um, and so we're excited to be
2: here. And so if somebody, if somebody's an or out there looking just to get more information about the um, association, um, where can they go? What's their website?
4: Yeah, absolutely. Our website is seniorexecs.org. Um, feel free to go there. Um, you can see what we do. You can also reach out to us directly to see if uh, membership is of interest to you. Um, we run a, a variety of events where we invite both members and non-members uh, to, so you can kind of test us out uh, to see if it's of interest. And then we have some volunteer opportunities on some of our committees. So, again, that's seniorexecs.org.
2: Thanks. And so and one of the big events that we want to um, talk about, and I'll bring you in here too, Ryan, um, is the, the summit, you know, the SEA summit. was a really, you know, big deal um, each year um for SEA, i know i've been associated with sca even back when i was um, a baby lawyer in the government i'm not going to date myself that was years ago um but um you know it's just a big deal and i know you know you first decided to switch you know one of the the first sort of virtual events in the federal government you guys uh back in december 2020 um you know moved it to a virtual event so just tell us um a little bit about that decision um, to move it, you know, virtually, and and what your experience was, you know, initially back in twenty twenty.
5: Yeah, happy to do that. Uh, thanks again for having me on, Tony. Um, it was a really interesting time. Um, you know, when we decided to do this, we were on the heels of um, you know in person lots of in person events, um, especially through uh, SEA, as as you recall and others recall that event was done at the the Mayflower as a very engaging. Uh, event with leadership programs and workshops and lots of lots of networking and the PRA awards and it's a lot of fanfare. And so, you know, thinking about how to turn this thing from an in-person event to a, a virtual event was, was quite the feat. And I think we were in the early stages of trying to figure out platform and engagement and, and you know, working with the government to understand also the technological needs. So there was a big process there. And fortunate, fortunately, at the time, I was still working with Lisa, the Association for Talent Development, and we had just been um, kind of testing the waters with lots of virtual events. So, um, or lots of lessons learned. Uh, a couple of the things that we really thought about at the time was that, one, you know, you can't replace uh, in-person events with virtual events. It's just not. It'll never really replace that kind of um, that kind of energy or atmosphere or anything like that. So, if you're thinking you're going to replace your in-person event with a virtual event, you know, just kind of take that a little bit off the table. But what really drives these kinds of events is you have to be super intentional about the content. You know, um, what are people walking going to be walking away from? What are those outcomes? What do you want to leave them with? And, you know, that's kind of the foundation and the basis for doing that. And then you kind of build a bit of a structure uh, and format knowing what some of the best practices are, which we'll talk a little bit more about, you know, i.e. keeping these things short. Don't turn a you know, don't create an eight-hour virtual training day. No one's going to sit in front of a computer for that. Um, also, you know, facilitators who are great in person, not so great online. And so there's a couple of learnings that, uh, I'm sure uh, Lisa and I will talk a little bit more about later, where you kind of have to keep an eye on things. It doesn't transition kind of naturally from an in-person event to a um, to a virtual event.
2: I mean, that's that's something I didn't really think about. You know, that certain um, presenters, um, you know, are different. You know, as far as virtually and and you know, in person. Um, I'm probably just awful in both, but um, Stephen, <laughs> let me sort of let me ask you to relay some of your experiences, maybe share some some data that you might have had from the from the recent form that we had.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Tony. You know, Ryan really hit the nail on, on the head and you, you really have to be in, in, intentional here. Um, and 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 so for us, you know, we saw a, a really good level of participation. You know, you're always worried about people signing up and then maybe not attending. You know, more than eighty percent of our uh, our registered attendees um, attended. You know, uh, uh, at least half of the sessions. You know, we had a lot of there's a lot of virtual and, and online engagement you can do beyond just kind of the, the Zoom experience. So really uh, look at some some of the tech. Um, you know, more than seventy percent of our platform really, you know, was outstanding and above what they had been, you know, what they had experienced in the past. You know, kind of, you know, it was it was definitely leaps and bounds from from a Zoom experience, you know. And then, as Ryan said, finding the right speakers and the right content. And again, our content was rated at, you know, ninety plus percent uh, in terms of uh, in terms of quality, uh, as well as you know, our sponsors were happy happy too, and, and they're likely to return.
2: And Steven, maybe you can speak a little bit, um, I know we're not, we're we're here to talk about the quality um, of the event, but there's also an important sort of business aspect of this for associations that are trying to have, you know, events, you know, you know, whether they're financially successful, you know, and they're frankly less riskier, you know, to try to, you know, have these events. Can you speak a little bit about that?
4: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the reality is, is that you're not going, you know, to, uh, you know, to downtown DC to some, you know, five star hotel, uh, and you're not planning this, you know, 18 months out to reserve your space. So in terms of financial risk, I mean, you just really can't beat it uh, by doing an online event. Um, in terms of, you know, having people show up. Um, you know, there's a great el- greater likelihood of them, you know, showing up and participating um, because they're right in front of their, you know, they're right in front of their computer. Um, in terms of just even some of the, you know, the audiovisual and, and technology fees. I mean, you're, 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 you're investing in one platform that can do a multitude of things. Um, in terms of, you know, looking at, at folks who might want to, um, you know, uh, show up or, or pay the registration but can't attend every session, you can really record these sessions without a team of 20 audiovisual folks on site recording session so you know it really is a win-win and i think our customers and our members are going to continue to ask for um you know r- remote virtual hybrid in some format you know going forward
2: so we have to stop here for our first break you're listening to fed talk on the federal news network when we come back we'll continue our discussion about virtual events and we'll be joined by dr candace boyd from feiaa Welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Network. We are talking about virtual conferences and hybrid conferences. I would like to now welcome to the show Dr. Candace Boyd from the Federal Executive Institute Alumni Association. Candace, good morning again, and thanks so much for being here.
3: Good morning again. Glad to be here.
2: Great. So before I ask you um, to introduce your association to us, Stephen, I want to just sort of um, wrap up one piece um, of the, the SEA. Um, summit event that we were talking about so you've had two successful years I mean 2020 right we were all there together it was out of necessity you're either having that or you weren't having anything you know and then a lot of planning went into this year's and and as you pointed out it was it was really a huge success um, both in terms of quality engagement um, with the attendees the sponsors and frankly financially which is what you know a lot of these associations need to, to, you know, keep going. You need money in the coffers. So, what? Tell me about the decision about what you guys are going to do this year, and what's sort of driving that?
4: Yeah, absolutely. So, this year, you know, we did we did pull our members, and we also pulled our um, attendees from last year, and there was a high uh, likelihood and interest of returning again in the in the virtual space, regardless of where we are. However, there, you know, there are some some you know things are opening up. Folks are asking when do they get to, you know, go and, and, and have a drink with a peer, a colleague, uh, a sponsor, et cetera. And so we are evaluating those opportunities for the event. The event will be virtual with the opportunity to do some either on the front end or back end, uh, perhaps some, you know, some smaller in-person opportunities. Uh, but folks are not going to feel left out if they cannot participate in that opportunity. We're also investigating, you know, summit, you know, our, our summit event is only one of our products. We're also, you know, stepping back and looking at, you know, this spring, this summer, what can we do in the moment to continue to be agile to, to our members, to the community, to the environment, to maybe bring some people together and, and, some, and some smaller um, networking opportunities that may not necessarily be attached to the event. So um, time will tell, uh, but we're excited about some of the things we get to try and, and and the support and the interest from our members and our sponsors.
2: Okay, great. So, Candace, um, let's tell us a little bit about the Federal Executive Alumni Association.
3: Sure. Well, I'm, I'm really proud to have served as both the programming chair of FEIAA and now I am the vice president of FEIAA. So, first, FEIAA stands for the Federal Executive Institute's alumni association and this is an exclusive member-led association and it's basically individuals who have attended The Center for Leadership Development, this is a federal um, uh, training center, and it also includes FEI, Federal Executive Institute, executive training programs. So basically, this is an alumni association. We have about 600 members which uh, span across the country, and these individuals have either participated in some of the training uh, sessions or the leadership courses at FEI.
2: So tell, just expand a little bit about what that what that program is, you know, FEI down there in, in Charlottesville, um, Virginia, if you can just give our listeners a little bit more of a, of a kind of um, a flavor of, of what, you know, what that's all about and what the intent of it is as far as leadership development.
3: Yeah, absolutely. So, FEI and FEIAA have common goals, and that's to create the next generation of leaders. So, as you mentioned, the campus is located in Charlottesville. Virginia. It's about maybe an hour and a half to two hours outside of the Washington, D.C. area. And pre-COVID, people would go to the um, campus. They could stay and participate in leadership and training um, experiences anywhere from one week all the way to four weeks um, in, in duration. And the goal is to help that individual become the best person that they can be, and specifically with a focus on leadership. Because the fact is, in the federal government, we have a grain workforce. So we need to start cultivating and creating that next generation and create that next pipeline of future leaders. And that is the goal of FEIAA as well as the Federal Executive Institute.
2: And I probably should point out, you know, Candace is of all our, our guests here today, I mean, she is a, a current and career federal employee. Um, she works, she's, she's in the SES, obviously, and she works at the National Science Foundation. Um, but you know, I have a question that, you know, it's funny as, as a lawyer to say, you never ask a question. You don't know the answer to, but here I go, but <laughs> you, on, I should have, I should have asked you before, but how has the past two years Is FEI they've been conducting all their training virtually.
3: Yeah, absolutely. So we all know what happened in 2020. So many of our organizations had to literally turn on a dime because we had this great model of in-person training and leadership, and then we pivoted uh, to virtual training. So Mm -hmm. yes, for FEIAA, we had our executive forum in 2021, and it was the first time that we had a 100 percent virtual experience. And if I can just tell you a couple of statistics from the evaluations from the attendees, 93% of those attendees who attended that 2021 forum, they said they made up to five new connections during that virtual event. And then likewise, 93% of those same attendees said they had the opportunity to share comments and ideas. Now in the traditional, you know, face-to-face format, sometimes you don't have that opportunity. And I'll give you a, you know, a, a little factoid on me. I'm I'm very much an introvert even though I'm talking to you today. And so I know sometimes historically when I go to those in-person activities, it's very easy to just sit there and listen and to take it all in. And these virtual opportunities provide a new format. So for people like me who maybe aren't the best at interacting and talking, it gives you an opportunity to meet people to network and to, to, to build your base. And that is a key component of leadership.
2: So that's, that's interesting that, that folks feel the, I guess, the, the freedom to kind of be a little bit more engaged in the, in the vir- the virtual environment than they are, um, in person. I, I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that. Um, you know, as, as you know, the, 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 the forum is, is such a big deal um a central point of what you know your association um does every year it's what a lot of your um members um look forward to so the decision has been made this year even though some groups are kind of coming back you know in person or hybrid but the decision um your association has made is to you know stay virtual again what can you sort of tell us about that yeah, absolutely, process.
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. So June 9th is the day we are going to have our executive forum. It's a one day forum. And I think what's really great about that is that you can connect, you know, interact and participate. And sometimes some of our more traditional historical leadership events have been days or sometimes almost a full week. So to ask you to disconnect for one day and to fully engage, it's a different format, but it's Uh, geared toward giving you as much as we can within eight hours. So um, we're going to have our our, our forum on June 9th, it includes speakers from around the country. And so that, again, that's another benefit of these virtual meetings is that sometimes we can cast a wider net to get more featured speakers, as well as have more participants from other areas of the country than just the traditional, you know, 90 mile radius from where that actual event is going to be um, um, conducted. So it's a great opportunity to network and to um, have targeted conversations with featured speakers with a wealth of experience.
2: So that is one of the things that I've always, um, you know, talked about for your your forum that I thought was, because it was traditionally, when when we did it in person, it was, you know, always here in in the Washington, D.C. area. Um, And when you have like multiple day events here that you're asking executives to come to, you know, and and attend like so many of the, the conferences and events that we have, I've often found you know, that they're distracted, you know, they're either going to work before going to work after trying to do work in the middle, you know, it's, it's really hard. I mean, you guys are the, you know, you are the, the senior career executives that are running, you know, you know, our government for us, you know, it's hard to say, I need you to, you know, I need you to check out for two or three days, but, you know, certainly, you know, Every one of us can 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 shut things down for a day, um, and I always thought that was um, kind of a unique to your, you know, your event success, you know, o- over the years. And certainly, you know, that holds true. You know, I, I I think it's very similar for for a virtual event. You know, for somebody, you know, they've got to commit to just sitting behind the computer, you know, for one day. You know, they can they can usually do that. Um, Stephen, let me sort of bring you back in here because I know you've been you've been hired as like the, the the hired virtual gun here, you know, to come in and help, <laughs> you know, <laughs> help um, feIAA um, plan their event. Um, what can you tell us about, you know, how they're, you know, what they're shifting, what they're looking at to, to bring in for their June 9th event?
4: Yeah, absolutely. So I just recently started um, uh, with them and, and you know, it's, it's a great group, great group of committed, um, you know, volunteers and, and leaders. So first and foremost, I would say, you know, compared to perhaps last year, you know, we really went out of the gate with a, with a membership survey. Like, what do you want? What do you need? What can we do to really meet you where you are? You know, we talk about virtual, but again, virtual continues to change you know it's no longer the replication you know of 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 uh, you know three days of, as as we've as we've talked about so we went out to our to our members and, and we were able to really hone in on some of their learning topics so you know the learning tracks for this year's event on June 9th will be leadership development, uh, ECQs, and remote and hybrid uh, team management. You know, the second thing we're focusing on is really those tangibles. You know, it's no secret in this world, especially, you know, with the, with the internet and, and YouTube and whatnot, that if you're looking for, you know, content of, of, of any type, you really can just go, go and find it. But You know, this event's really rolling up its sleeves to say, you know, if you're speaking, you know, we want to know the tangibles that you're going to give our members, you know, that they can take away and either test or implement uh, or apply in the world, not just, you know, uh, uh, loads of, of, of theory-based conversation. You know, the other thing that, that that we learned is, you know, this virtual networking component and not just the, you know, let's get on camera and, and say, hi, my name is Steven, and my favorite color is blue, but really going, you know, deeper and asking people, what did they learn? What did they learn that they think they can implement versus, Maybe they're still struggling with who can they partner up with, you know, colleagues across government that might be um, working through some of the some of the same you know same same issues. So, again, for us, we're really focusing on you know being metrics driven on the outcomes, really making sure there's a great space for that. Um, you know, here's what I learned, here's what I, I think I can apply, or here's what I'm still struggling with, um, and and then really focusing on on you know, making sure that that day is conducive to your point, you know, earlier, Tony, you know, to our members' schedules, you know, there's ample breaks. If, you know, if there's a fire drill, someone can chime in. We're recording the session, so if you get pulled away by, you know, a fire drill, you know, you will get those sessions. So um, that's what we're focusing on, and, and so we really encourage, you know, folks to take a look at the agenda.
2: And I know I'm going to get into this a little bit with um, Ryan and Lisa here in the back half of the show about technology and stuff, but what can you, I guess, tell me about your experience in in the the platforms you've been using
4: so for us we've you know i've i've used a variety of platforms that have really you know it's 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 so much more than the zoom experience and i just use zoom cuz that's what a lot of people are familiar with or so much more than perhaps like the microsoft teams experience etc it is you know, it is intentional networking, you know, everything from speed networking to breakout rooms to, you know, tabletop discussions focused on specific discussions to, you know, both the visual and the audit, you know, the audio part of being able to, you know, see people hover over people and actually see who are you talking to in this, you know, in this room? Who are they? Where do they work? You know, what are they, what do they do? What are their key problems? You know, I think being able to make sure that, you know, the technology is as fast and robust, that it's clear and there's nothing more frustrating than, you know, being on a website, not knowing, you know where's the next session? How do I open this up? You know how do I ask a question and make sure it's answered? Um, so we're really we're really peeling back that layer on some of that tech, which you know I know that feia did um, did last year, and they continue to take it to another level this year.
2: So Candace, let me bring it back to you. And if somebody's looking to get um, more information about FEIAA and particularly. The um, the forum this year. Um, where can they where can they turn to?
3: Great question. So our website is feiaa.org. Feiaa.org, And uh, we've been around for 52 years. And, you know, we were going to celebrate our 50th in 2020. But again, 2020 had other plans for us. So I really encourage people to go back to that website, take a look. You can see um, what we're planning, not only for the forum, but what you can get from your membership um, by becoming a member of F-E-I-A-A as well.
2: Yeah, and I would just I would just sort of echo that. I mean, I I've been associated with um, both these associations that we talked about on the first half of the show for for years now. Um, you know, SEA and FEIAA, um, You know, and they're just you know, you know, they're all volunteers. They're just good people. Um, you know, working together for the for the common good. Um, you know, for the government, for the executives, and, you know, there is strength in numbers. So rather than just sit back and, and reaping, you know, the benefits of the hard work that they're doing, I really encourage people um, to reach out and, and join, you know, these organizations, because it's, you know, it's important that they, you know, they have the numbers, you know, and that the resources behind them to, you know, accomplish the, you know, the great things that they're, they're trying to do. Um, for you and your careers. Um, so, we're going to stop here for our second break. We'll continue our discussion after a word from our sponsors. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Network.
1: The
2: Welcome back. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Network. We are just entering the second half of our show, and we were talking about virtual conferences. And I would like to bring back Ryan Chancoco back in and introduce Lisa Spinelli again from the Association for Talent Development or ATD. Lisa, let me uh, just start with you and ask you to just introduce ATD to our listeners.
0: Sure thing. So ATD is a nonprofit association based in Alexandria, Virginia, but we are about 36,000 members strong in about 120 countries. Been around for over 75 years, formerly known as ASTD. And the association is about empowering professionals to develop talent in the workplace. And when we say talent, we don't mean like actors and movie stars as many, Uh, project in their head, but talent as in any employee, so talent, you are uh, a talented person bringing something to the workplace. So we help those who develop that talent, aka trainers, instructional designers, and a host of other titles. Um, We help educate them how to do their job better and how to develop talent in their organization
2: so um i know one of the big events i'm jumping around a little bit on the outline here but i know you'll you'll just work with me here um,
0: you.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> um i know one of your big events is your is your atd's annual conference mm-hmm. so i believe that's coming up soon if you could just talk a little bit about that um and how mm-hmm. that's been i guess the past two years
0: Sure, so ATD's International Conference and Expo, um, in years past, so 2018, we had Obama keynote the uh, conference out in San Diego. 2019 was Oprah, so you can imagine the crowd size and the energy that was going on at the time. And then of course, we all know what happened in 2020. Uh, Something hit the fan and we all were doing it virtually. So very different experience, uh, of course. Everything went to a virtual platform. We were using Pathable at the time. We have uh, kind of a hybrid situation that we've been doing the last couple of years and um, 2021 and now 2022. So we have virtual, some on-demand things happening, some live streaming happening for keynotes. Um, of course, there's a lot of like interactive pieces and networking pieces that we're doing on the platforms, and then we have the conference at a much smaller scale happening in person.
2: So I'm just curious, so in 2020, when was the conference? When did you have it?
0: The virtual conference? Yeah. Yeah. We split it up actually into two separate conferences. Um, One around the same time of the year that it normally would be held, and then a little bit. Uh, This year it's May 15th to the 18th. So usually it's in May, in mid to end of May and then last uh, 2020 i believe that was in around june but it was still within that kind of spring time frame and then and we i'm just a, i mean the real
2: reason asking, i'm just curious yeah. whether there was any dialogue to just you know cancel it I'm, you know we just you know hit covid you know right there march april um you know a lot of um organizations just punted at that point but but you guys made a decision to switch pretty quickly it looks like
0: Yeah, um, we did, uh, we, of course, you know, had to cancel in person. Uh, we were going to be in Denver, Colorado, obviously couldn't do that. And, and we felt like it was important to give our members and those who really, um, look to us for this kind of amazing conference to really give them something. And, you know, everybody kind of needed something at that point. We were all kind of hitting a low spot. Um, and people wanted to connect and, and figure out really, how do we do all this virtual training that we're being tasked to do? Of course, we've been doing it for a long time at ATD and people in our organization have been doing it for a long time, but, um, you know, a lot of people really based their professions on this in-person connection and learning. So we felt it was really important to, to continue on. Ryan, did you want to add anything about that?
5: Yeah. Um, it, it was an interesting time, right? And and you have to, when you think about the economics of associations and societies, as uh, Candace, Stephen, and Lisa can attest to, these annual conferences and in-person education events are a big part of the bottom line of the revenue. And so when you're, you know, when we were looking at 2020, I was still with ATD at the time. And, and then in the fall, we supported the, ATD actually supported the SEA event that, you know, we had to do something. Because if we didn't, you know, um, one, we weren't delivering stuff for, for our members. And as Lisa said, they looked to us. But then it, you, you kind of take a hit. So everyone, all the associations, I think we, we knew and talked to and networked with, all the societies, they all said, you know, we have to make some quick decisions. Um, and, it, you know, one thing I'll mention is, and I think we'll talk a little bit more about this. So the virtual stuff isn't new. Right. For most societies and associations, there was, um, a lot of content as, as Lisa can talk about, we did a lot of webinars. We do weekly bi-weekly webinars. So the delivery of content via, um, these kinds of platforms wasn't new. However, it was mostly supplemental content to like, to, to bigger events. Mm -hmm. And now when the pandemic happened, we were on this like fast track to shifting from it being supplemental event to the kind of delivery.
2: And that was sort of the the essence of my question is so many, you know, with companies, organizations and things like that, once COVID hit, and I did this with my own company preaching to my people, it was so easy to just sit here flat footed, right, you know, and just, you know, let it happen to you. But, you know, I think the organizations, you know, I think, you know, succeeded, you know, and and thrive during it, you know, are the ones that kept forging ahead, finding different and newer ways. Um, to do what you do, right? To bring bring the, the content Absolutely. here. And that's why I was asking the question because because it sounds it's like exactly you guys exactly. come out pretty quickly and, and switch gears. So, you know, kudos yeah. to the ATD for that.
5: You know, Tony, the biggest fear, I think, wasn't so much that could we deliver the content, but could we um, create the same kind of experience, energy, and environment that that you would get you know, there was this kind of, as Lisa mentioned, we had Obama and we had Oprah and we had 11,000 people at Sa- in San Diego. And uh, I don't know if anyone has ever seen the pictures, but the line to see President Obama's <laughs> keynote was two and a half miles long around the San Diego Convention Center. And so you can imagine the kind of like just sheer energy and excitement. And so like, you know, we wanted to, We I think the biggest concern was what's the experience gonna be? Could we deliver content on leadership, on train the trainer, on instructional design, learning technologies, yeah, no doubt, no doubt. But, you know, we, we were mostly concerned with how are people going to feel about it? And so, you know, we, we forged on and, and, and made it work. So yeah,
0: and we learned so much between the first one that we did. And even just the second one, but then of course, last year, I feel like, you know, we, we learned a lot from trying out many different conferences throughout the years, virtually, um, what works and what doesn't work. High
2: level. What would you say were the, you know, you know, two or three most important things you learned, you know, from, you know, when you had to just sort of do it probably in a triage, right? (laughs) You know, here's what we're going to do and we'll just see what works or doesn't work. I mean, what would you think of a the most important things you, you can, you know, cause like, you know, I represent work a lot with these associations, these smaller associations, they're not big, bad ATD, right? They don't have you know all that stuff experience behind them. They've got to, it's one of the reasons I'm excited for the show is they've got to learn from what you all are doing, the experts, you know, in the industry. I mean, what would you say are the two or three big learning, learning things?
5: Yeah, from a scheduling and logistics standpoint, one thing that we kind of knew in the beginning was that we needed a little bit of flexibility and that before the term was, you know, kind of became super mainstream, Zoom fatigue was going to be a thing, meaning you don't want people sitting in exactly. front of a monitor for nine hours at a time. So when we looked at the schedules, we're like, okay, well, three-hour sessions, straight up sessions are out. Um Eight hour, you know, learning days are are kind of out and um, and people are gonna be jumping. We had we we kind of anticipated that people were gonna be jumping in and out of sessions because, you know, as most of us were, we were working from home, right? So like we had to, we had to realize that the engagement factor was also gonna be a little bit different. Now that we have that, what do we do about it? I think one of the things we considered was okay, shorter sessions, shorter days, but spread across and now things are recorded, they're on demand, let's remind people that they could catch up by doing that. I think those were kind of two big things in the beginning where, where we were like, okay, okay, we can do this. We just need to make sure we know the experience that the audience is having. Lisa, I don't know if you have anything to add there.
0: Yeah, I would say a hundred percent what Ryan said about the shorter sessions, uh, shorter days, lots of breaks, lots of breakouts too, within the sessions. And like we talk about, you know, chunking learning a lot within ATD and for our members, um, how do they deliver good training in person or otherwise, but with virtual, I think you need to really have that uh, chunking very in very short stints. So whereas you can maybe do. 20 minutes, 15 minutes in person of direct learning and then have people working together or thinking about things. You have to shorten that down to like five minutes online because like Ryan said, you have distractions, you have things happening around you. You're going to lose 50% of the people after just a few minutes online and kind of piggybacking on what Ryan said before about the uh, people who work well in person, maybe not working so well online um the you really have to have like a certain energy level to really capture people's attention or just a real a really different way of presenting and engaging an audience online that um it doesn't translate to be the same in person
2: by so and that's a question i have which is kind of a a two-part one so i'll jump to the second question since you're talking about being engaging, um, you know, how do we, you know, how do we make them meaningful and engaging? So deal with the second half engaging. I mean, are there, are there tricks to the trade? You know, do we, you know, do we have games in there. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, oh, I mean, somebody, goodness. somebody like me, I mean, <laughs> I can carry all the attention span for this hour and I'm, and I'm hosting the show.
5: At <laughs> least I'll let you kick that one off and I'll, I'll add
0: a Well, I would say there's a lot to, you know, there's a lot to be said for games if they're done right. So <laughs> a lot of people do gamification, but they don't, they don't do it the right way. They just throw a game together and they think, oh, well, we're going to get everybody involved. Everybody's going to have fun because it's a game. But no, that's, you don't just throw a game together just for the sake of, like, you don't throw a presentation together just for the sake of throwing a presentation together. But, um... Yeah, I would say, you know, breakouts, of course, always help when you get people interacting, especially because it's an online platform and you can have people from all around the world interacting with each other. They love that smaller groups, of course, work better than bigger groups. Yeah. Um, lots of interactive pieces and different types of interactive pieces, but done well and thoughtful, of course. Yeah.
5: Leveraging the technology, uh, you know, I, I mm-hmm. typically say, and, and you've heard other people say this, technology doesn't replace good process. But in this case, it it kind of helps. Uh, I found that some of the best facilitators, virtual facilitators will leverage the polls and the chats. You know, typically, if, if you're in person, you'll ask for, uh, you know, someone's input or get their thoughts and you'll probably get one or two hands up depends on your crowd. Right. But if you're online and you say, put in the chat, your thoughts or ideas, your questions, (laughs) and you have four or 500 people there, you're going to get a bunch because Mm -hmm. people are behind their screens. They're more comfortable. Um, And then leveraging things like polls to get people uh, to get their general ideas as a whole. I think, um, I think that's been really great. You see facilitators using things like doodle or Miro boards where they're kind of like, um, uh, these are essentially like virtual sticky notes where people are putting their ideas and doing design thinking programs. Um, and so you started to see people leverage the technology of like, okay, so I'm not in a room, we can't whiteboard, how mm-hmm. do we whiteboard online? Right. Yeah. And so people started kind of leveraging some of those techniques, uh-huh. which helps with the engagement.
2: I hadn't really thought about that because you, because you, I've seen it in the, you know, in the corporate boardroom and things like that, where they're having all these, you know, more virtual events and people, um, you know, um, you know, are more engaged to ask their leaders questions that they normally wouldn't want to ask Now, Maybe the leaders don't want those questions asked in the chat, <laughs> but I can, I can see then how people sometimes are, you know, I hadn't thought about that till now are more, you know, can be more engaged because they just feel more, more comfortable. So we're going to stop here for our final break. When we return, we'll continue our discussion with Ryan and Lisa about virtual conferences. You're listening to fed talk on federal news network. Welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Network. We're entering our last segment of the show. And, you know, guys, we were talking about, um, you know, I was asking about, you know, how to make it meaningful and engaging. And, you know, we talk so much about, you know, it's, it's got to be meaningful. But, you know, can you give me some meaning to, you know, what meaningful really means?
5: Sure. We'll try to make this as meaningful as possible. Uh, Tony, <laughs> it's no. So, um, you know, the the association for talent development, the audience was mostly trainers, HR professionals, organizational development professionals. And so, um, fortunately, one of the things that we always look at when we're developing programs is, is the outcomes, right? Like, so there's, I'm just going to throw some terms out there that some folks in the audience might understand, but, and, and I'll kind of highlight them, but things like Bloom's taxonomy or Kirkpatrick's, these kind of levels of learning. Uh, and so, what that basically means is like when you're, when you're developing a training program and people leave it, like how much of that knowledge are you actually, um, implementing? Do you just remember it? Are you starting to like implement it or have your behaviors completely changed? And so one of the things to make things meaningful is like, you want to get as farther down into those levels when you're delivering this content, right? You don't want just people to remember. You know what he said? A really cool quote that I'm never gonna remember again. It's it's a little bit more like I learned a management lesson. I'm gonna try it tomorrow. I'm gonna try it again, and then see if it changes how my direct manager or direct reports kind of engage with me. Um, and it, it's kind of hard to measure some of that stuff in general. But as Stephen uh, mentioned earlier, um, you know you leverage the polls and surveys after, and you ask them. Did you find meaning in that? Are you going to implement that later on? Uh, is this something that really resonated with you? And so I think meaning, um, making something meaningful is making it impactful and usable, at least in our sense, uh, for talent development folks and trainers.
0: Mm-hmm. I and mean, I, I would echo that and say that also we deal a lot with the learning science behind it. So not just doing a breakout for the reason of doing a breakout or a game for doing a game, but what is that reinforcing scientifically for the audience members learning? Like, what is that actually doing to help the person learn and retain that information more. Um, You know, there's lots of talk of repeating certain uh, phrases or things that you've said, as an example, at certain times during your learning to reinforce the learning, there's ways of doing breakout groups uh, so that the interaction reinforces what's being said and not just to give everybody a break from the presenter droning on. Um, so things like that.
2: Is there any? So you know, I um, have a nonprofit where I've done training in the government. So I've got a little you know experience um, in this. We train the executives at, at the EEOC, um, and so much of the the events we put together, you have like your courses on soft skills, we would call it, and the hard skills, right? You, mm-hmm. you know, is there any you know different treatment? You know, I mean, how does that, how do those things sort of translate, you know, oh. into the virtual world?
5: You know, um, a lot of
2: laughter. no, that's this a, one, Stephen, this one's a, a tough one. That.
5: No, this one's a tough one. It um, I, I, mentioned, uh, you know, the, the, Kirkpatricks earlier that kind of evaluate learning and the soft skills stuff just historically has been a hard thing to measure because it's like, um, It's like all right i'm going to be nicer to people now or i'm going to be more (laughs) self-aware or i'm going to you know um be more likable i give you permission to feel yeah you you (laughs) met mark Brackett, right (laughs) you guys had a great conversation but like how does emotional intelligence translate into again the bottom line it actually so what people have started to see is can you connect this type of training online training to productivity To employee engagement scores to again the surveys after the training that's kind of the kind of like the first level but if you go back to that organization three to four months later and say hey X company that training we did with Tony how -hmm. many less um, complaints did your managers get and so um, you know I think what people are getting savvy with is their ability to measure that kind of stuff rather than the delivery of training. Um, as you know, as Lisa and I were kind of chatting earlier, you, you don't replace the energy in person when you're doing these quote unquote, transformational soft skills programs. It's just hard. Um, and so you kind of have to find out if it's working or not by measuring it after. Lisa, I don't know if you have anything to add so, there.
2: Well, let me just ask, Stephen, I want to bring you quickly back in because um, you, you've touched on something, you know, for me, somebody, you know, running a business that always matters to me. I mean, all these soft skills are great and i love hearing about them and they're, and they're neat, but you know, you know, how's that rubber hitting the road? What's that really doing for me? You know, I send an employee to this training, are they really bringing anything back? That's gonna, you know, contribute, um, you know, to the mission. I mean, Stephen, do you, you know, like, what are your members like at SCA or you know, telling you, you know, what, what, you know. What they want to learn, you know, are they looking to learn stuff that they can immediately take back and see tangible results, you know, are they, you know, looking to recharge their batteries and just hear some philosophical stuff that sort of just make, you know, make them feel good about things?
4: Yeah, no, great question, Tony. I, you know, I think, on, it's, I think it's evolving. I think what you have is you have some, you know, some folks that are evolving in in their wants and needs. I think perhaps you have some that are that are, you know, at a point in their career where they're just they're happy to get their finger on the pulse. And then I think you have, you know, a a large group of folks, you know, the the future really saying, I need tangibles. Number one, I need tangibles to justify the expense of this and to justify my time away from work. And number two. I need to know that this is really going to bring me to the next level you know can i add it to my idp or edp right you know can i add it to my training and development because at this point time is money and as one of our members you know said to me once you know trying to you know trying to to, to participate in a webinar is challenging because you know every day they feel like they're juggling chainsaws mm-hmm. uh and so you know that analogy has really stuck with me that you know we need to make this meaningful impactful um it needs to apply you know to, to what lisa and ryan are saying to all sorts of learning levels okay you know i'm very much a visual learner um, I'm an experiential learner. I need to be able to see it, do it, touch it, and and so um, you know our members are you know they are they are pushing us on that front.
2: So Lisa, did you have something to add there? Because it sort of I think I interrupted you when I shifted to Stephen there.
0: Um, I did, but I lost it, so oh, it's all you know, good. I, I lose
2: <laughs> it all the time. So let me ask you this: so just as far as because you mentioned um, President Obama, Oprah. Oprah Winfrey, you know, and your, your keynotes and things like that. So ATDs like big, you know, how do you handle, cause often the, you know, the keynotes, a big draw, you know, I know in the government world, we try to get a, you know, government official in there. How has that translated, um, you know, in the virtual environment?
0: I think it's tougher, um, because there, first of all, conferences and virtual experiences, there are a gabillion now. I mean, everybody's doing it. So it's not like maybe in 2020, when we were one of the only um, people doing it, there are tons of people doing it, tons of people doing it for free even now. So it's a really competitive market. You can go onto YouTube and see any of the keynotes that are going to keynote any virtual conference, uh, speak for free on YouTube. So you know, it's, it's tougher it's not as big of a draw but um
2: are the keynotes are they live or are they pre-recorded
0: both okay. sometimes they're live like in a hybrid situation like we have in May for ATD's international conference it'll be live streaming um and then it'll be recorded so, so then you can re-watch it if you missed it live
1: yeah
2: so that's a great segue into my next question is we we've, we've thrown the word hybrid around here a little bit mm-hmm. um what does that really mean?
0: Also, a uh, loose definition could mean anything from you are in person and then you have a virtual component to that, um, or you could, I mean, there's a myriad of things that could be classified as hybrid. I think as long as you have some virtual and some in-person component, it could be called hybrid. It doesn't have to be happening at the same time. Are they,
2: but are they, are they, are they truly bifurcated if you will? or you know are there is it really important to create some interconnectivity to them and really you know you know have them relate to to one another
0: yeah i think so um i think the more successful hybrid events are ones in which you have them interconnected and you're able to kind of float between the experiences ryan mm-hmm. do you have something to add for that
5: yeah another definition is um you're having the event Live and in person, and people are showing up, but then you're also recording and live streaming it to people at home, mm-hmm. right? And so now that we have the technology, you know, one of, one of the big things about the virtual and hybrid stuff is uh, the two words are accessibility and scalability. It's like more people have access to it at different time zones, and then you can record it, and make it on demand, and people can access it. So now you have organizations who couldn't, who used to just focus on like their high potentials and low potentials for training. Not everyone can access it because it's a little bit cheaper, but the hybrid, you know, kind of the 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 essence of that is like what organizations are trying to do is have a little bit of something for everyone. For those who are comfortable going in person, go in person. For those who are not, stream it, watch it online. If you can't afford it, stream it, watch it online. If you can, go in person and 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 meet with some people. So it, it's a loose term as Lisa mentioned, right. but if there's both components, I think in the industry it's it's considered so
2: hybrid. Let me ask you guys sort of like my final question. I'm, I'm a you know a real kind of glasses always half full kind of guy. Um and I'm constantly we've just gone through this horrific pandemic, right? And I'm just constantly evaluating you know what's going to you know just grabbing things that are going to come out good, you know, like in business world if they are different, right? You know, be, it's easier for me to get take out food now or something like that, right? <laughs> um, but you know, I'm more flexible in, in allowing, you know, you know, allowing, you know, employees to work remote as a result, you know, that, that I never thought I would ever be. Um, I mean, do you think this is one of the good things that might come out of of the pandemic is is the if there is more acceptability, you know, for these kind of virtual or, or hybrid events
5: yeah i think i think that's the case and i'll turn it uh, to lisa for the final word i think from an organizational standpoint as, as Stephen kind of mentioned earlier there's um there's an economic advantage uh for organizations uh to do this it's it's a fraction of the cost it's a little easier to manage and with the technology you can get in front of more people and drive more value because the content's on demand and you could record things it just from a production standpoint, it makes it easier and the economics are just a bit better. Um, from kind of the audience perspective, there's a bit of the same, right? It's, uh, I can access it uh, in a more flexible manner. I can watch it on my phone. I could watch it in between meetings. I can miss one, watch it later. Uh, and then i watch it again if I miss something. And so like the accessibility is a really big thing and um, and, and it's, it's a little bit cheaper, but the downside Again, is the experience level. It's just not the same. It's not the same environment. And so you definitely miss out on that,
2: Uh, Lisa. So that's going to have to be our final word. Sorry, Lisa. No worries. We're we're out of time. Um, I definitely want to thank our our guests, uh, Stephen, Ryan, Candace, and Lisa, of course. Um, I thank all of you for listening. Fed Talk is brought to you by the Federal Employment Law Firm of Shaw, Bransford, and Roth. Have a great weekend, everybody.